0: It's Tuesday, July 27th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is the Daily Dive. Here come the vaccine mandates. The Department of Veterans Affairs has become the first federal agency to require its healthcare workers to be vaccinated. New York City is mandating vaccines for city employees or weekly tests. And California is the first state requiring healthcare workers and state employees to show proof of vaccination or get tested weekly. Aaron Allday, health writer at the San Francisco Chronicle, joins us for the new vaccine requirements. Next, let's talk about vaccine breakthrough infections of COVID-19. Some recent numbers from the CDC say that breakthroughs represent about 0.098% of those that are fully vaccinated. Still, they are happening, but those cases are often mild or asymptomatic. Getting vaccinated is not a free pass, but it gives you the best defenses possible to fight the virus off. Catherine Wu staff writer at The Atlantic, joins us for more. Finally, the summer travel season so far has been a weird one. There are delays and cancellations due to computer glitches and staff shortages, summer storms have had an impact, and some international destinations are requiring COVID tests. Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for an update on summer travel. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: And If they're not vaccinated and cannot verify that they've been vaccinated, uh, we are requiring uh, that they get tested. California' is committed to vaccination, verification, and or testing on a weekly basis.
0: Joining us now is Aaron Alday, Health writer at the San Francisco Chronicle. Thanks for joining us, Aaron. Thanks for having me. There's been some uh, interesting movement on vaccines so far on Monday, more specifically, government starting to uh, tell their state employees that they need to get vaccinated, and specifically California. New York is doing something like that. The federal government is requiring VA frontline healthcare workers to get vaccinated. So Aaron, tell us what we're seeing in California, stopping short of a mandate.
2: Yeah, it is just sort of a mandate. So uh, the state just on Monday, as you said, put out a new policy that all state workers, so that's more than 250,000 people who work for the state must show proof of vaccination and if they don't want to show proof or they don't have that proof because they're not vaccinated then they have to undergo weekly testing at at least weekly testing to prove that they're not infected Um, and they have to um, go back to where i mean they have been wearing masks but they will definitely be required to to wear masks that kind of thing but basically the big change here is that everyone in the state has to prove whether or not they're vaccinated
0: what are we seeing with numbers in california i it's a, you know obviously it's a, a very big state but what are what are we seeing mon- numbers wise that is prompting this
2: like a lot of parts of the country there've been some really big concerning increases in cases statewide so you know we're now seeing cases up to kind of where we were almost at the at the start of the winter surge um in some places I and mean, then we're seeing them increase rapidly they're kind of doubling every week or every two weeks so They're just going in completely the wrong direction. And I think the cases on their own are concerning enough, although we're kind of hoping the hospitals will be protected just because we do have a lot of people vaccinated in California. But we're seeing our hospitalization numbers increase a lot, too, which I think really has a lot of people alarmed because that's probably a sign that, like, this Delta is just getting into every person, every pocket that is not vaccinated in the state. And you get enough of those people infected and you're going to see those hospitalization numbers really drive up.
0: Yeah, we have about 62% of all eligible Californians that are fully vaccinated so far. Obviously, we want those numbers to go higher. And this is an effort for that. But that's what we're seeing, as I mentioned at the beginning. New York is doing something very similar to what California is doing. And the federal government, this is the first mandate now from the federal government telling VA uh, healthcare workers to get the vaccine. And I'm assuming, you know, once California and, and The federal government starts doing something like this, we'll start seeing other states fall into place with these types of uh, rulings as well.
2: I think we're going to see a lot more of this overall. San Francisco actually was the first city in the country, I think still may be the only country to actually mandate vaccinations of all of their city employees. That will go into effect after FDA approval of the vaccines, but that's anticipated pretty soon. And San Francisco also is already requiring all of its healthcare workers and people in congregate settings to be vaccinated. That's whether you work for the city or not. So we're seeing things like that. I think we're seeing, you know, a lot of private businesses now requiring vaccination, even requiring that their customers be vaccinated or show proof of vaccination before they enter. So, you know, I think just people are really concerned, and rightfully so, about the Delta variant. And the thinking is that our vaccination numbers just aren't moving in the right direction fast enough. You know, obviously we are still increasing vaccination, but it's such a slow process at this point and that the sense is that we're just, there's this urgency that we really just can't be patient with folks any longer. We need to sort of use more of that kind of stick approach, make it uncomfortable to be unvaccinated to get more people on board.
0: How has the enforcement been so far in San Francisco with some of those limited measures that they've been taking?
2: You know, we're still at the very early stages of that. So I think that kind of remains to be seen. You know, I mean, the idea is that if you refuse to be vaccinated, you can't work for the city. I and mean, I think we haven't come to that place yet. I have not enough time has passed to kind of give people that opportunity to do it or not. So I mean, that is definitely going to be one of the next big questions, right? Like how many people are going to refuse to do this, yeah. and what happens? you know, what do you do with those folks? I think the hope is that this will be enough to get more of those people on board.
0: as I mentioned at the beginning, this stops short of a mandate in California. And we can't ignore the fact that Governor Gavin Newsom is going through a recall election right now, I think, in September is when California voters will be voting on that. What do you make of this current action, you know, as far as it relates to, to that recall effort?
2: I talk to a lot of public health officials. I talk less to sort of the political funders, so I can't, you know, I can't come with like real expertise there. But I know a lot of, of the public health folks are very concerned that that recall, that election is, is a factor here it's really, really hard to make these tough decisions to, say, issue like another mask mandate to, you know, require everybody in the state to wear masks again, to issue any sort of new kind of lockdowns, even to sort of put out a mandate, you know what I mean? And it's got to be at least on his mind, you know, that these are people who are going to be voting in September and and be thinking about that. But on the other hand, a larger part of the population really doesn't want to see this thing spiraling out of control all over again, right? So we need to kind of find a way to kind of mitigate this and get things back under some sort of control with sort of the least kind of in-your-face measures that are going to, you know, just upset a lot of people. So it's it's a really, it's always been a fine line to walk, but now it's even, (laughs) it's got to just be even more precarious.
0: Erin Alday, health writer at the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me again.
1: Those who do test positive after full vaccination, their cases are overwhelmingly proving to be minor, thank God, in scope. Joining us
0: now is Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic. Thanks for joining us, Catherine. Thanks so much for having me. I wanted to talk about breakthrough infections when it comes to COVID 19 and those that have been vaccinated already. You know, we're starting to hear a little bit more about it. The Delta variant is surging across the United States, Uh, I think it's uh, 80% of all COVID cases are coming from that variant right there. And we're seeing a lot of people get these breakthrough infections. I mean, part of it is just the sheer number of people that have been vaccinated. You're going to see a lot of numbers coincide with that, but it's still happening, although it is pretty rare. But Catherine, tell us what's going on with our bodies, because it's bound to happen regardless.
3: And I think the first thing to know here is that this was expected. You know, when we say breakthrough, we're counting pretty much any infection that happens in a person who's fully vaccinated. So all they have to do is test positive on a test for the coronavirus. They don't even have to have symptoms. And we knew even from the time of the clinical trials that people were probably going to get infected. The vaccines were primarily designed to prevent disease. That means symptoms and preventing just plain old infection when it's asymptomatic is quite a bit harder. So we saw this coming and that in and of itself, it's not something to worry about. And I think you brought up a really important point. You know, we have millions and millions of people vaccinated. If breakthrough infections are happening in a small percentage of people, a small percentage of millions and millions is still a pretty big number. But the, the way to look at this is not that you know the virus is necessarily like smashing through or even necessarily breaking through the vaccine. The vaccine is still doing its work. It left a very strong impression on your immune system, which learned from the vaccine. That learning is not going to just evaporate the minute a virus gets into your body. I think the important thing to keep in mind is that a breakthrough infection, even if it leads to symptoms, is not going to produce a case of COVID-19 that would have been identical to a case of COVID-19 had you been unvaccinated.
0: Some of the experts that you spoke to for this piece talk about how you think about your body as a castle, and this is how the defenses are working, basically, when you get your vaccine.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I'll, I'll lead with the punchline here. The most important takeaway is that the vaccine is going to basically armor your castle with weapons and guards to fight off any invaders. And a castle that has armed itself in advance of an attack is always going to be better off than a castle that has not done that prep work. That's effectively what the vaccine is doing. So even if the virus comes along and it you know, meets this vaccinated or well-protected castle, uh, it's going to have to really fight its way through a lot of layers of redundant defense. And the immune system is built that way. You know, you have a lot of different actors kind of rushing to the fore at different times with different skill sets. The virus has basically a lot of work to do. And even if a few particles are able to get through, maybe even cause a couple symptoms, it's just a lot of less bad because it's had to fight its way through the immune system first. Its ranks are dwindled. It's weaker. Uh, Basically, a huge chunk is being taken out of the virus at pretty much every step. And even after the virus is gone, those defenders are basically saying, wow, that really sucked. Let's not go through that again. Let's remember what happened here and make sure we're even better prepared next time.
0: One of the things that a lot of people early on through the pandemic and still today, obviously, that they're experiencing is this uh, thing called long COVID where the symptoms stay around for a long time and just really affect you for months on end sometimes. And what researchers are hopeful for is that the more that people get vaccinated, these uh, cases of long COVID will also will also become much rarer.
3: That is definitely the hope though. I'm sorry to say that there is not actually great data yet. We know from very, very early reports of people self-reporting symptoms that it is possible to get long COVID after you've been vaccinated. Um, It's very hard for a vaccine to prevent anything 100%. So it is possible, but that's a very binary answer. We don't know how common it is. I certainly would never at this point venture to say that it's more or less common, but certainly the hope is that it will be less common because the vaccine is reducing symptoms. The vaccine is reducing your chance of infection. Um, And that just by proxy is going to reduce the chance that the virus is going to have this type of effect on your body. So I can't make any promises about long COVID at this point, but I think things are looking certainly better than they were before the vaccines got here.
0: And finally, with all of this, it's not the worst, obviously, to get infected with COVID after you've had your vaccine. Obviously, it sucks. Nobody wants to, but it can provide that little booster that your body might need. You know, your body's constantly learning what the virus is, how to fight it. And in that, in that sense of it, it can also help you.
3: Yeah, and I think that is a a silver lining. I certainly am not encouraging anyone to go out and intentionally get infected, but think of what we deal with, uh, with, you know, common colds and the flu every year. Sometimes that's kind of a reminder to our body to stay on guard. And you've already, if you've already got a contingent of immune fighters that have been built up by a vaccine, you're in that much better of a position. I do think this virus is going to be with us for a very, very, very long time. It's going to be very difficult for most of us to avoid this virus long term. But the best move now is to armor yourself in advance, so you're ready to meet it when you do.
0: Catherine Wu, staff writer at The Atlantic, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: I think it's really prudent to, you know, if you're flying somewhere for an event for a a wedding, for um, some kind of event. You really need to factor in it going a, a day or even two early. Joining us now is Scott McCartney,
0: middle seat columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us,
1: Scott. Good to be with you, Oscar.
0: Always love to check in with you on uh, what's going on in the airline industry, the travel industry. It's a weird one so far, this summer travel season. You figure in your classic delays and headaches. There's a bunch of new stuff that you got to worry about. I like the way you put in the article, suddenly right now, Charlotte, North Carolina is handling more flights than LAX. So it's a weird one right now coming out of the pandemic. So Scott, walk us through some of it. What are we seeing?
1: Yeah, it really is. Airline networks have been remade in really strange ways. The summer storms that we've had have had really more serious impact on travelers because there's so little cushion in the system. Uh, the, The reality is that the you think of the travel infrastructure, airlines, hotels, car rental agencies, airports, everything. Nobody really anticipated this much of a surge. And so there are staffing shortages, Are there, as there are in lots of different parts of the economy. Airlines, in some cases, seem to have overdone it on scheduling. American Southwest, in particular, United and Delta, were more conservative in, in how many flights they put in the schedule how many passengers they were willing to take. And so you mix all that together and people end up a day late, two days late to get their destination. If they're traveling internationally, there's this new weird component to that that a lot of countries will require a negative COVID test within 72 hours. Well, if you're delayed for 24 or 48 hours, your test may be no longer valid. And so people have found that they miss their flight, they get stuck someplace, they not only have to get a hotel room and, and sort of fend for themselves, but now they got to find a 24 hour clinic that can do a COVID test for them.
0: Tell me about delays and, and cancellations right now. What are we seeing there?
1: Yeah, so I, I got uh, there's a, a group called Mass Flight that uh, tracks a lot of airline data for airlines primarily and got them to look at summer so far. It's actually June 1 th- through July 14th. And there's really a lot of variation. Delta had a pretty good rate at 86% on-time arrivals. Alaska was at 83%. But then it gets a little worse. American and United, both, uh, well, American 75%, United 72%. And then you get down Southwest at 64%. That's really not so good for Southwest compared to what they usually do. JetBlue, even worse, 58%. Only 58% of, of JetBlue's flights this summer have gotten Wow. have arrived on time, which is uh, within, you know, 14 minutes of scheduled arrival. Allegiant was actually actually even lower. And then when you look at cancellations, typically, in, if an airline cancels 1% of its flights, that's pretty average. Some carriers, Delta, for example, have been doing better than that. And Delta still did better than that. 0.3% of Delta flights this summer canceled. But Southwest, 10 times as bad, 3% of their flights, and, and that's, that is unusual for Southwest. Southwest has had particular staffing issues. They were offering double overtime to flight attendants, to customer service agents, yeah. to baggage handlers, double overtime over the July 4th holiday travel period, and now they've extended that. They're offering double pay for picking up extra shifts through mid-August. So they're really struggling to keep up with the aggressive schedule that they rolled out.
0: It really seems like flexibility in your schedule is the only thing you can really prepare for in advance just in case something else goes haywire.
1: I think it's really prudent to, you know, if you're flying somewhere for an event, for a, for a wedding, for um, some kind of event, you really need to factor in going a, a day or even two early. It's always better in summer to uh, fly in the morning. Afternoon thunderstorms can really disrupt flight schedules. And I think to the extent you can, if you can avoid a connection in a hub, that certainly helps. And pack your patience. You know, TSA (laughs) has had shortages, so we've seen long TSA lines crop up. You've got to wear masks. There have been a lot of incidents on airplanes with people frustrated and, and and getting belligerent about masks, it is going to be a stressful uh, travel in the right. summer is always uh, <laughs> stressful, but it's going to be more so this year. And it's, you know, and it's really too bad because people are so excited about, yeah, you know, exactly. getting out and going and so excited to be taking that trip. And then boom, they get to the airport and it's <laughs> and it can be really miserable.
0: Briefly before we're done, Charlotte, North Carolina, why are they such a hot spot right now?
1: It's interesting. So American has been aggressive with its schedule and they have consolidated a lot of their travel into Dallas and Charlotte, really running a lot of people through Charlotte. And so Charlotte has has jumped up as one of the, the fifth busiest airport in the world in June, busier than Beijing, busier than LAX. And things are strained there. It's a good example of Look, they are at full capacity in Charlotte, and yet not all the restaurants have reopened and things, the the services at the airport. There may be you know, there have been, we've seen around different parts of the country, shortages of wheelchair pushers and things like that. But Charlotte's really interesting. It's also a reflection of, of how much of this summer's travel has been domestic. Charlotte's not a big international hub, but there is so much domestic travel that it does make sense for American to be sort of consolidating a lot of it in Charlotte.
0: Scott McCartney, middle seat columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Always good to be with you.
0: That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.